Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Queer in the Air would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri and the Brunerong people of the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations people listening to this broadcast. We recognise their unceded sovereignty and that a treaty was never signed. You're listening to Queer in the Air critically engage queer commentary with an interest on the intersection of queerness with other experiences of marginalisation. The show is presented by peers on the LGBTIQA spectrum. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter via the handle at Queer in the Air and listen to our podcast via 3cr.org.au forward slash Queering the Air. My name is MV. Please be aware that today's show contains descriptions and discussions about mental health, suicidal ideation, self-harm, TERFs, family violence, misogyny, transphobia, child abuse, religious fundamentalism, gay conversion therapy, queerphobia, sex, violence against trans women, and sexual assault that may be distressing to some listeners. If this type of content is a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14, 1 800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732, IHEAL, Family Violence Recovery Support on 03 9663 6733 during business hours. Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Switchboard Victoria on 1800 184 527 or contact your state-based service. We'll place these resources on Queer in the Air's website show notes later today. Today I'll be speaking with ex-Jehovah's Witnesses Jonas Ropanen and Daryl Sugar about their experiences of growing up queer, the aftermath of being excommunicated, living as an ex-Jehovah's Witness, mental health concerns as a result of the Jehovah's Witnesses shunning practices and religious fundamentalism. I'll also be speaking and presenting an audio piece with Abby about her experiences of dating as a trans woman and the effects on her mental health. As a preamble, Jehovah's Witnesses are a Christian denomination with non-Trinitarian beliefs distinct from mainstream Christianity. They are directed by the Jehovah's Witnesses, a governing body who are a group of elders in Warwick, New York, United States, which establishes all doctrines and is based on interpretations of the Bible, their own interpretations. They are best known for their door-to-door preaching work, distributing literature such as The Watchtower and The Awake, and for refusing blood transfusions. They consider the use of God's name vital for proper worship. They consider secular society to be morally corrupt and under the influence of Satan, and most limit their social interaction with non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Congregational disciplinary action includes disfellowshipping, their term for formal expulsion and shunning. Baptised people who formally leave are considered disassociated and are also shunned. Their policies for handling cases of child sexual abuse have been the subject of various formal inquiries. So, here is an interview that I conducted earlier this week with Jonas Ropanen. Jonas is an artist and teacher, originally from Sweden and growing up in Frankston, Victoria in a Jehovah's Witness family. He left the religion after coming out as gay 22 years ago when he was 20. My name is Jonas Ropanen. I am an artist by profession. I teach art at university as well as a sessional lecturer. I'm 42 years old and I left the Jehovah's Witnesses 20 years ago, over 20 years ago now. In 1997, I actually ran away from home on the day that Princess Diana died, was disfellowshipped or excommunicated from the religion 
not long after that. I'm from Sweden originally. My father was from Finland and my mother was from Sweden. My father immigrated to Sweden in the late 60s. And both parents had grown up as Jehovah's Witnesses as well, which is a little bit unusual for the religion because it uh, relies on conversion quite heavily. So I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness in uh, Sweden, but also here in Australia uh, as a quite an isolated kind of uh, group or sect, religious sect. It is uh, quite a tight-knit community. So we had a pretty instant uh, group of people that we uh, adhered to and became friends with and the congregations we we lived in. So in that respect, I feel like I integrated quite well into Australian society. However, as I said, people may not know it's quite an ex exclusive kind of club to belong to and there's an expectation that you don't really associate with people outside of the religion. So things like um, not saluting the flag, not celebrating birthdays, uh, not celebrating most of the holidays that the kids at school were doing. Christmas, it became quite a... Uh, you know, a situation where I was very isolated from the rest of the world. So you say it was a, a tight-knit community. Can you expand on that a little bit more? There's an expectation to not just turn up on Sundays, but there were regular meetings throughout the week. Also an expectation that you would preach from door to door, which the Jehovah's Witnesses are really well known for. And that's something that you're taught to do from a very early age. So public speaking skills uh, were instig you know, instigated and you would train for that as a young young little kid in a tiny miniature suit and a tie at these meetings. And, um, and so, yeah, my friendship group were all Jehovah's Witnesses and I didn't really know anyone outside of that. And being someone who eventually through my teenage years came to realise that I was a, a homosexual uh, very isolating because I had no role models, didn't really know anyone in the community. Uh, so it was it was quite a, a mystery in terms of, or very isolating to think that anyone could possibly feel like this. In fact, I felt like I was probably the only one in the Jehovah's Witnesses in the whole world that probably had this affliction and didn't really know who to turn to in relation to that. How old were you when you came to this realisation that you were different? that you felt like you were the only person in, in the world or the only Jehovah's Witness that was a homosexual? How old were you? You know, in my mid-teens, when it sort of dawned on me that uh, those uh, sexual feelings weren't going to change, they weren't something that were mutable, that was shifting or just a phase. And so subsequently I became quite, I realised after the fact, I became very um, hyper-religious, like I was the one who became very, very dedicated in, in my family, so I was the most religious of the lot. Then I think there was an overcompensation for what I was feeling. And it wasn't until I was uh, 20 that I left home. There was a period there, about five years of really coming to terms with it and dealing with it. The danger, of course, is that you can easily get kicked out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not something that I wanted to be known for, someone who had homosexual feelings, let alone someone who would act on it. And if I'd acted on those and weren't repentant, then I would be excommunicated. I knew that from the word go. Everyone knows that growing up from the Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's either stay totally closeted, which is not a term I wouldn't e even have known about, you know, or come out. And they really did foster very, very black and white thinking, considering that they believed that the end of the world was coming and there were definite right and wrongs about how to do things. And that the only people who were to survive that cataclysm were the Jehovah's Witnesses. There was no chance of breaking the rules or bending the rules. 
in my book and in the way that it was taught to be able to kind of survive. So I moved towards a decision and that was a very difficult process, a bit of a painful process to go through. I've spoken to quite a few religious people or people who had a former past in a religion and these religions have been quite strict and they've said that the way most of the pastors or elders have spoken about homosexuality or queerness in general, they have compared it to a type of gay conversion therapy because of the bombardment of information that's been given to its congregation members condemning homosexuality. Books like Young People Ask, mm -hmm. with the two chapters about homosexuality. I wonder how did this affect your sexuality and or gender expression when you were constantly told that you were a bad person. It's very difficult for, perhaps for the outside world to understand that you would be going to these little meetings and studying this literature. They would, like a, they would pump all of this literature out and we'd study them every week and the young people ask book answers that work, I think it was called, <laughs> had those chapters in. I remember that. But in some respect, it kind of provided a visibility for an issue that was there, which extrapolated upon scripture, which was, you know, Homosexuality is something that is deserving of death, basically, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and and uh, condemned in the New Testament as well. Yeah, it doesn't make you feel 100% on, on the game, but there's this idea that this new system that would come soon, when everyone else is annihilated and eaten by crows or whatever was going to happen, you know, then the, the world would become a utopia, like a paradise earth, and all these problems would disappear, and that was... that potentiality was supposed to happen any moment, any month, Armageddon would happen, this new world would come about. Because you believed in that strongly, it, it felt like a solution that you're able to then push away those issues and say, well, this is a private issue that potentially could only last a couple of months. <laughs> and so uh, there's definitely that um, two-edged strategy in there about coping with that situation. But as time drew on and, and that desire to become a uh, an adult to rebel and to become an independent person is very strong and I think my way of coping was it was to expand my knowledge base behind behind the organization as they called it the organization's back and look at other sources of information on homosexuality and that's what led me to leaving in the end and to a better sense of identity and self-esteem. And how did this affect your mental health like off air we've spoken about the, the mental health implications of being a Jehovah's Witness and then removing yourself from the religion itself. Tell me about the effects it had on you. A lot of people who survive heavily indoctrinated religions, uh, sects, cults, or um, very authoritarian um, churches, talk about cognitive dissonance, this idea that if information is presented that goes contrary to what you've been led to believe, it's very difficult to uh, acclimatise to that and to uh, metabolise that. So you come up with denial and you become angry and you and you uh, make up a whole lot of rationalising, rationalise and you bargain. Those uh, I went through all of those feelings of, of, yes, okay, I'm admitting that I have a homosexual orientation or feelings that don't seem to be going away, felt quite angry about that, wanted it to change, felt guilty about feeling angry about it, felt hopeless about it, you know, the whole kind of spiral of depression, which led to suicidal ideation. At the lowest point of that, I was starting to just look at sticks on the ground and wondering if, you know, can I just end this and ram this through my temples, you know, but 
that kind of level of thinking, yeah. Jonas, how old were you when, when you were feeling these things and you were going through this narrative in your mind? At that, I was uh, 19, 20, and we had just sold our family home and moved into a much smaller uh, house. And I was sharing with my younger brother, who was 11, and we were in bunk beds, and I was 20. So it was time for me to really kind of shift in my life and not having much direction with that. I had started a teaching degree at university, and university was something that was heavily frowned upon in the religion and looked upon as a waste of time and something that would detract you from the religion and something that would be a snare of Satan sort of thing. And and through that, I started speaking to a counsellor which was so refreshing to be able to have a very unbiased listening ear that helped us start shift, shift that, but it shifted me towards action. So I was advised to meet up with a, a gay support group, which the Victorian AIDS Council actually was running at the time. It was so surprising. There was such a broad variety of, of men in that group. So through that process, I felt like I needed to make decisions and come out at what age were you excommunicated from the Jehovah's Witnesses? Tell me about shunning, how that had affected you. And maybe you can explain what shunning is to the listeners. Sure. Um, I slept with someone in that support group. Uh, I think I made it a bit of a project, you know. The very night or day that I'd done that, I came back home and my dad had been waiting in the lounge room and they parents they had gone through my drawers that I shared with my younger brother and my mum had been cleaning and she found some brochures on chlamydia and syphilis and all those sort of things that you can catch as a gay man you know it was really quite full-on and I think I had subconsciously just left them very exposed and very easy for them to find and uh, they wanted to talk about that so that unraveled a whole night of discussion and from that night I I ran away from home four o'clock in the morning caught the train back to the city to that guy who I'd slept with Unfortunate for me, like he took me in for a week and then I found a house. And it was maybe two months afterwards that I was excommunicated, but I was not in communication with people. So it was very hard for me to, to be located and to uh, have that discussion. So the excommunication process, the disfellishing process, is starts off as what's called a judicial committee. Three elders are expected to attend or you're expected to attend a meeting with them i got them to come to richmond where i was living from frankston where i grew up they their whole premise is supposedly to find out if you're repentant or not as in like are you willing to toe the line are you willing to say you've done something wrong these are the steps you will have to take to be valued as an associate again which means there would be, would be restrictions put on me there would be social restrictions within the congregation all the option, the other option is to be cut off altogether, which is to make a decision. If you make the decision, it's called disassociation. And if you disassociate, it's uh, seen as a bit of an active step. And it's a little, I considered at the time, a little bit aggressive. And I wanted to have my parents uh, maybe softened approach to it. So I decided to state very clearly that I wasn't interested in coming back, which meant that they would then set the process of disfellowshipping. And was it at that time that you were shunned by your family and friends and the congregation after the announcement was made? When I'd left home, I had reconnected with my parents. Like, I, I mean, they were obviously very distraught. I want to just uh, also point out that Jehovah's Witnesses usually have, you know, they've normal families in a lot of ways, very open-hearted. They don't want to lose their children. They don't want to lose family members. But the, the importance of the religion to them is so strong. 
and the social ramifications of supporting someone who is disfellowshipped is so frowned upon that they, there would be repercussions for them as well if they chose to do that. More than just social, because it is a, a belief that you're somehow, I guess in uh, other terminology, damned somehow, if you do. And that there's a particular arrangement, you need to support the elders' decision. Going against the decisions that elders make is going against the decisions of God. I support that they're following the correct path there. So it's very hierarchical. In your arts practice... I feel like you've delved a little bit into some of some of this spirituality and some of your experiences growing up as Jehovah's Witness. And in particular, there's a, a writing of yours called The Woodsman and an artwork called This Is My Body, This Is My Blood. Can you tell us about how your growing up as a Jehovah's Witness has affected your arts practice and in particular these two pieces? I think in 2010 I started to revisit the past I had um hadn't totally blocked it out but we're talking almost over a decade of having no proper contact with my family and being shunned that people just say oh you just move on but these these sort of things well up from the past and so I started to write The Woodsman which is an autobiographical story and some of it's a lot more poetic but it is um, true it talks about my that whole process of leaving the and I admit it's traumatic the trauma of that and that was felt really good to be able to integrate it into my arts practice. And that started a process of having a much more confessional nature to my practice, self-referential and being okay with that and finding a strong voice. And I enjoy writing. So it's something that um, I found quite fluid and I could say what I wanted to say without having to hit people over the head sometimes. And that, that suited me. I think as the Jehovah's Witnesses, you go door to door, they're very doctrinaire about everything. I enjoy the kind of non-literal a lot. That's what I've come to love about art, and it's been a real salvation for me to, <laughs> and to use that term. This other piece, this is my body, this is my blood, is a, it's a large banner. I work in a sexual health centre. They're all uh, examination table sheets. Took them home, and they were originally drop sheets, and then I... I liked the way that the pigment fell onto it, and so I made these paintings in there, text-based paintings that text is on there. It's also a whole lot of reference to names of marbles from my childhood, and, and underneath that a whole lot of uh, uh, hormones that the body produces. And I liked this idea of um, this interaction between the choices that we make in the world, the kind of marbles, uh, the internal structures that we have, uh, what we bring to the world from our genetic heritage or whatever it may be and then this reference this is my body this is my blood this is that's quite familiar to most christians as the other people will call the eucharist or the mass so yes there are quite often references to that in my practice still um and i and i want to also say that when i did leave that depression fortunately for me lifted very very rapidly um it was very situational so there was a lot of joy and I had a lot of, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences since and part of that has been due to following my passion. I, in some respects, and I think art has definitely fulfilled that, that need, but it also suits my personality. So yeah, I'm, I love it. So the Jehovah's Witnesses are holding their international convention in Melbourne at the end of November. There's been a few of us that have been involved in and affirmative action so that our presence is known when the Jehovah's Witnesses attend this convention. Can you tell our listeners about what we are doing with our action and how you are going to be involved 
and for you why it's important that you're involved in this silent protest? I think it's very important to face your fears as well as someone who's been kicked out. And there's also this idea that you're not allowed to criticise the Jehovah's Witnesses, the leadership, which is deeply embedded in your psyche uh, growing up. So there's a lot of, I can understand, some people have a lot of fear about just standing there, being present. But I think it's also very important to be able to say, your rhetoric may be that we're dead, but we're not dead, we're alive, we're here. We will welcome people back into our life. It's not reliant on us having to reconvert to the religion, which is the only way people can get that sort of support that they need. Some people cave to that. We're saying, this is our life, we're happy. It'd be happier with you. And that was Jonas Ropenen discussing their experiences of growing up as a queer man in the Jehovah's Witness religion. Uh, I want to thank Jonas for joining me um, earlier on this week to speak about his experiences with such eloquence and vulnerability, yet being so concise and distinct with his information and his discussions. Uh, You can view Jonas's work via jonasropponen.com. That's J-O-N-A-S-R-O-P-P-O-N-E-N.com. And you can see a bit more of his artwork and also his written piece called The Woodsman, which speaks about his experiences of shunning and being excommunicated as a Jehovah's Witness based on his sexuality and gender expression. If this interview has caused distress to you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Switchboard Victoria on 1800 184 527. I'll be playing a couple of announcements, and after that, we'll be speaking to my next two guests, Daryl Sugar and Abby. You're listening to Queer in the Air on 3CR 855 AM. QR Code is an LGBTIQA health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month, or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. This is Queer in the Air. My name is MV and I have in the studio with me my next two guests, Abby and Daryl Sugar. Daryl is a gay ex-Jehovah's Witness living in Melbourne who was excommunicated and shunned by the Jehovah's Witness religion at age 27. Daryl, hi. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Daryl, in a few words, tell me what you thought of Jonas's interview. I know this is totally not what we scheduled, but what did you think of it for what you heard? What I felt was someone who'd finally had that millstone lifted from their shoulders, as an old saying, and someone who'd found themselves again. And it's great that we have the ability to talk about it and can possibly you know, move on, and but also say something to other people who need to hear 
that shunning and and all these things that happen in in the religion is wrong and 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 by having a protest of some description is a great thing Thank you, Daryl. We'll be hearing from you later on in the show to speak a bit more about your experiences of growing up as a gay Jehovah's Witness and about shunning, mental health, and also the silent protests that ex-Jehovah's Witnesses will be holding in November later on this year. My other guest is Abby, a trans woman who lives in Fitzroy and has lived in Melbourne all her life. She's worked as a computer programmer all her adult life and currently lives with her teenage son. Abby has produced an audio piece about her experience of dating as a trans woman and the effects on her mental health. Hi, Abby, and thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. You're welcome, MV. I want to know why you chose this particular topic to produce your audio piece on. It's one of the things I don't really talk about a lot, and it's being single is quite a lonely existence and also having depression, it can be very isolating. So I just wanted to get a message out that this is what I struggle with and also perhaps to let other people listen as well and to feel solidarity with that. Absolutely. And I had the the honour of working alongside you as uh, your sound assistant, yeah, is that yeah. the word? And uh, we had a great time putting it together and it was such a, it was such a treat because we'd been working on this yeah. project for maybe eight or ten weeks and getting to the climax of it and being able to produce this wonderful it, piece it with was you. Great. Yeah. Um, it was really lovely. So... I want to know how was the process of the, producing I, this together? The creative process, I really enjoy. It's it's uh, like any creative process, watching it grow and, and getting all these pieces of, of like the script, the music, the creative process and watching this artifact grow. It's, it's <laughs> something I very much enjoy as a creative person. And, and how did you put your, your narrative? Like, we'll be listening to it soon, obviously, but yeah. how did you put it together? Like, how easy or how difficult well, was that for you to put together? I mean, I didn't find it difficult. It was a bit triggering. Like the first couple of drafts were quite depressing. <laughs> so reading back through it, I actually like took a few deep breaths, um, walked away from it a bit, and and it was a bit therapeutic. And, and I didn't want it to be that depressing. So I, I made sure that it ended with some positivity and I found it quite therapeutic at the end. It was really good to put this this feeling I'd been feeling to words. Last question. Why was it important for you to have this message out there or to create this audio piece together here at 3CR? I needed to, to voice this. I needed to get all that angst that I'd been feeling. I, as like suffering from depression, this is not the reason I'm depressed, but it certainly is a factor in it. And having dated a lot in the past before transition and then finding it so difficult afterwards, I needed to express this somehow creatively without all the angst and crying and therapy sessions and I just needed to, to scream it to the world with, with love in my heart. Well, I think we'll play it now. This is Abby's dating story on 3CR's Queer in the Air, 855am digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. Hello, my name is Abigail. I'm a 42-year-old transgender woman living in Fitzroy in Melbourne. This is my experience with dating while being transgender. As a content warning, please be aware that this will contain descriptions or discussions of family violence, TERFs, mental illness, and violence against trans women that may be distressing to some listeners. Please contact Switchboard Victoria on 1800 184 527 or visit switchboard.org.au if you need assistance. 
Like most trans and gender diverse people, I knew at a very early age that something didn't feel right. I think when I first started school, at age four or five, that I wanted to be one of the girls rather than one of the boys. Growing up was difficult. My father was abusive, misogynistic, and an authoritarian parent. So I was scared to be myself across most aspects of my personality, especially with my gender expression. I learnt to bury and hide my true feelings from a very young age, which continued well into adulthood. It wasn't until I was around 29 that I realised I couldn't live being male any longer, and I refused to keep it buried. I began transition at 30, began hormones, changed my wardrobe, the whole deal. By 31, I was finally living full-time as myself. There's a lot of anxiety involved when dating while being transgender. You're not always sure if you're going to be accepted for who you are, or even if people you're dating are aware of your trans status. I don't often disclose that upfront, which can be daunting in and of itself. You're never sure if the person will take that well, or if they'll react with anger. I've had trans friends ask me to be on call when they were out on a date, just in case someone reacted with violence always on the back of my mind. Even for me, someone who dates exclusively women, there are plenty of TERFs in the lesbian community. TERFs are transgender exclusionary radical feminists, transphobic people who don't recognise transgender people for their gender. Online dating, especially on Tinder, is a massive letdown. When I first signed up, I used to get a few hits, but when I changed my gender from woman to trans woman, those hits quickly dried up. People will tell you they support diversity and acceptance, but they still don't seem to want to date us, even in the progressive queer community. It makes sense why most of my trans friends date other trans people. I always worry whether I'm performing femininity correctly. Women get enough pressure about their appearance, but as a trans woman, you get criticised if you are too feminine or not feminine enough. There is a very fine line that you have to walk between the two. I remember going through a tomboy phase. I wore shirts and ties occasionally, because women who wear ties are great. And I got pushback from all directions, even other trans women. When I'm dating, I worry if I'm walking that line or straying too far in either direction how much the person I'm meeting will judge me, and if, as a trans woman, I'm performing correctly. The times that I've been in a relationship have been quite validating. I dated another trans woman a while back, but all my other partners have been cis or cis-identified at the time. In case you don't know, being cisgender means you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth essentially the opposite of trans. Most people in the world are cis, but that doesn't mean cis equals normal and trans equals not normal. We're all normal in our own way and we're all normal to ourselves. When I do have a partner, I feel accepted. It feels great. I find it validating when my gender is accepted in general, but being totally accepted by another in a relationship setting feels like pure gender euphoria. Dating cis people can sometimes be mixed with an internal realisation that I'm something other. This othering of myself is always there despite all the validation I might be feeling and receiving. 
can be distracting, and I haven't figured out how to sit with it well. I think if society accepted trans and gender diverse people more, then I would not experience this feeling of being something other. I've been mostly single for years now, with the odd dalliance here and there. I find dating can be too frustrating, heartbreaking and fraught with anxiety. I haven't given up on future dating, but most of the time it seems easier for me to accept these difficulties and loneliness and live with being alone. I recognise that this attitude may be coloured by issues with depression and mental illness that I live with, so I try to stay positive as best I can. It's a struggle, but part of me holds on to hope. And this audio segment was produced in the studios of 3CR, NAM, Melbourne, with the financial assistance of St Vincent's Health. Music tracks Somber Heart and Reaching Out by Lee Rosevear are used under the Creative Commons license. Abby, how did you feel about that being played? Do you want even to speak about it? The, I, I that, that's the first time I've heard the final the cut. The final cut. Um, yeah, like it takes me back. Mm. Um, takes me back a decade ago. Takes me back to last week, and um, I'm glad it turned out well. And I hope people resonated with people. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Daryl? Since we've got you on mic. No, I honestly I can feel the the passion and the in that, and I can feel the the fact that there is change and how to deal with the change. But I can feel personally stronger from your experience, and I thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for that. Thank you both, Abby. We've lined up a song. Can you introduce it for us? The song is "Love Like Rockets" by Angels and Airwaves. Instead of most people see love as something quite romantic and mushy, but some people see it like being strapped to a Saturn V rocket and blasted off to the moon. You're listening to 3CR's Queen Yeah. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. You're listening to Queer in the Air. My name is MV. You can hear us on 855am digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au. In the studio, I have Daryl Sugar. Daryl is an ex-Jehovah's Witness, a gay man living in Melbourne who was excommunicated by the Jehovah's Witnesses and shunned by their congregation at age 27. Daryl, thank you for joining me this afternoon on Queer in the Air. How are you? I'm well, thank you, MV. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the invitation. Daryl and I are part of an ex-Jehovah's Witness forum on Facebook. 
we have an opportunity to speak to other ex-Jehovah's Witnesses about our experiences of growing up as Jehovah's Witnesses, being excommunicated and what it's like to be shunned by family, friends and, and congregation. I will say that this segment does require a content and trigger warning. It may contain descriptions and discussions about mental health, suicide, self-harm, family violence, child abuse, religious fundamentalism, gay conversion therapy, homophobia and sexual assault. There may be distressing to some listeners. If this is a trigger for you, then join us at the end of the show in about 15 or 20 minutes. Daryl, a way that we can start this conversation, if you will, can you tell us a bit about your growing up as a Jehovah's Witness, realizing that you were a gay man and how you reconciled those feelings within such a strict religious fundamentalist religion? Sure, MV. Thanks uh, for for the question. Uh, That's a decent one. Complex and, and terrifying one at the same time. We became Jehovah's Witnesses around 1975, and yes, that is last millennium, people. When people were leaving and we were going in, so from a very young age, around eight, I was actually baptized into the religion at around 1990. And then disfellowshipped in 1994, when I was around about 27. So most of my young young life has been spent with this religion. The hardest thing about it is, from even from what Jonas was saying, you do have the the parties, the birthdays, you miss out on the Christmases and things like that. You're constantly going door to door. You're knocking, waking people up on Saturdays and Sundays and talking about Jehovah or talking about the Watchtower and Awake magazines and the truth. So that's quite a, quite a hard life to get around. But then I know from a young age, around 13, that I was, something wasn't, was, wasn't, as we would say, not quite right, but more of a stuff of, of coming to an understanding, thinking, okay, there's something here I was attracted to, to people my own age, males especially. And also I had a decent crush on my primary school teacher as well. You know, having those pseudo sexual encounters, even with members of the congregation, it was pretty hard. And even at one point, and as a young person, when you're going through all the hormone changes, when you're like 13 to 16 and that, I thought I was the wrong sex to have sex with a man. So that meant I had to change sex. Do I? So I was for now, did I have to become a female to, in order to enjoy sex with a man? And that threw me. And for a good nine, nine months, I was in a really bad headspace and still trying to be a Jehovah's Witness, a very good Jehovah's Witness too. I did actually attempt the, the uh, old suicide, unfortunately. I looked at it and got it wrong, thankfully. But the big thing about being the wrong sex was that if I wanted to become still a Jehovah's Witness, I couldn't change into a woman to have sex with a man because I'd have to get baptised as the gender I was born into. That left me only one choice of life, being a homosexual in that instance. And that's the road that I ended up having. Well, I was not forced to take, but I wished myself I had to, I needed to take as a, and, and identify as a gay male. And what were the effects on your sexuality? And you touched a little bit about how it affected your idea of your gender expression. But overall, how did this affect your sense of being and your self-worth and and your self-identity when you were constantly being told that the way you feel via someone speaking from a platform or from uh, literature yeah. that says homosexuality is an abomination and it's wrong? Grabbing all those things yeah. together, how did you feel? Yeah, absolutely confused. I was very, two, what they would say, two-faced. I had the face that I presented to the congregation and the face that I presented to myself, that I knew who I was. I 
would actually, I remember even stealing pornographic material from the local news agent, but I would look for it, look through it primarily for the male content that was in it. And yeah, I got caught out. Eventually someone found out some stuff about me. And, you know, as a young person, you know, it, there's this leading book by the Jehovah's Witnesses called Your Youth, Getting the Best of It. And there's that lovely chapter about becoming becoming into men and women and things of that nature. But there's a discussion that masturbation talks about leading you down the path of becoming a homosexual. And that's no and trying to understand that and deal that in your own head as a growing up young person, that's even harder because you're dealing with all the changes bodily and you're dealing mentally as well. And then you've got this religious side of your life going, no, 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 you're not allowed to do that. You've got to be the white picket fence, the, the, the wife, the 2.4 children and, and the dog sort of thing down the road. And you've got to serve God. You've got to be his witness to the world and things of that nature. So that that can really do your head in. And it's... It's not a good place to be in. And as I said, I've had a lot of sexual encounters with young men in my own congregation. And that also then, I think, led to other accounts with especially what's been happening with the Royal Commission and things of that nature, that I've actually found out things that happened to myself in the congregation that I was in, in, in Sydney. So finding out that I was actually abused as a young person by a congregation elder someone whom you really look up to to for guidance especially and as what Jonah said you know, these people are the ones that you have to listen to and this person even abused his own son uh, and other young people in the congregation this unfortunately this person's never been able to get go to trial he has since passed away but his wife went to my mum and apologized and said oh that's the reason why Daryl's gay is because he was abused so there's this short, narrow-mindedness of these people that just because you're gay or you've got this feeling towards them, you're you're mentally mentally wrong. Thank you for sharing that information. I I can't even imagine what it feels like to share that, and I really appreciate your vulnerability. What happened to you is it's horrible, and I hope that you've found ways to find a reconciliation with what happened to you. I have. You can. They, they say you move on, but you move more than don't think you move on. You move through is more the, the correct terminology, I think. And you meet people and you associate with people who are going to help you move through that sort of situation and those scenarios. And you move through life that way. You don't move on, you move through. And for our listeners out there, the Jehovah's Witnesses to have some major discrepancies in its handling of child sexual abuse. A couple of years ago, there was the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Sexual Abuse within the Jehovah's Witnesses Mm. religion. There was recommendations made to the Jehovah's Witnesses, including its uh, Sydney lawyer and including one of its members of the governing body who reside in New York in the United States. And I'm pretty certain that those recommendations haven't been adhered to. And this is why we need to hold uh, this cult, this religion, to account for the way it's acted in relation to its handling of child sex abuse. They actually believe that you need two witnesses to the event. So you're not going to have the perpetrator and two children witnessing the event to, to tell. So that that is so wrong. And putting two children through something like that is is just wrong. How did you 
cope with all these things? Because obviously there was a lot of mental health mm. issues that were brought up for you. And I want to know how you pushed through this, as you said, or well, worked through it. The funniest thing is the hated religion of Jehovah's Witnesses is the Catholics for some reason. Don't ask me why. And I can guarantee, I can actually tell you now that every single boyfriend has been a Catholic, including a priest. So it's like, must have, I must be doing it right somewhere. But I have the privilege and I think that Abby's song was the best one about love being on a Saturn V rocket. That's totally right. I've got the most amazing person in my life and I'm very happy, very loved by this person. We've been together now 23 years and counting and I'm able to get through this even though I've never, I haven't spoken to my mum my sister and my brother-in-law, or even seen my three nephews at all since how, just for fellowshipping. How, for how long? That's You said like over 20 years now, yeah, yes? Yeah. Um, and my eldest nephew is, so he's 19 this year, so I haven't met or know my nephew, my eldest nephew. And I know my sister is unwell, and yet I can't, she won't take any help or any phone call from me at all. I love that you found your person mm. in this world. That's totally really beautiful. There is a bunch of us mm-hmm. ex-Jehovah's Witnesses nationally, who are going to be attending the Jehovah's Witnesses International Convention that is happening in Melbourne Mm -hmm. at the end of November. Why you are attending and why why is it important that our presence is there, in your opinion, and for your own self? We need to show these people that they may not have all the right information. They They may be lovely people, down to earth people as well, but they need to be told or shown that what they've been spoon fed and told is is wrong and damaging to people. Like they need to be shown that the two witness program that they strongly believe and hold up to is damaging to the young people within their own ranks. And if they truly love their children, they need to take a second look at this. And legislation has got to be forced onto them to report child sexual abuse. That's that's got to be done. And if they believe those words that God sings to God and Caesar sings to Caesar and whoever calls the tax, pay the tax, then Caesar is calling for people to be reported for child sex abuse, pedophiles and the like. And if they're not doing it, they are breaking the law. They are not good people. But for me personally, I want to be able to, to show that I've moved away from them and I'm a better person for moving away from them. Daryl, I wish we had... I wish I had many more minutes and and we'll have many more minutes after the program to discuss more. Thank you for joining me, for making the travel over here to speak with us on Queer in the Air and with 3CR and with Abby as well. It's It's really beautiful hearing your story, um, such eloquence as well and really informative and concise. Like I can't thank you enough for taking the time and for being vulnerable. It's it's so beautiful and such a pleasure to have met you. For those that are listening out there, that was Daryl, a next Jehovah's Witness, a gay man living in Melbourne who was excommunicated from the Jehovah's Witness religion at age 27. Uh, we spoke about the effects of excommunication and um, living as a, a queer man in, in a beautiful relationship. If the type of content that we've discussed on today's show has been a trigger for you, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636 or Switchboard Victoria on 1-800-184-527 or contact your state-based service. I'll place those resources on Queer in the Air's website page on the 3CR landing page.
other resources that people who are Jehovah's Witnesses or want to learn more about Jehovah's Witnesses, you can look up jwfacts.com. And this is, makes it really simple as possible to determine Jehovah's Witnesses, if Jehovah's Witnesses have the truth through examination of its history, doctrinal accuracy, and its belief systems. And also something that really helped me when I was moving out of the Jehovah's Witnesses is a book by Raymond Franz, who was a former member of the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. He wrote a book in 1983 called Crisis of Conscious. And he wrote this three years after his expulsion from the Jehovah's Witnesses religion. And the book has a look at us as the study and expose of the internal workings of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society during the 1960s and 1970s. You can look that up on Amazon or whatever to find yourself a copy. Also, if you need to talk to me after the show has aired and you need to discuss any of the things that we have spoken about on today's programs, please don't hesitate to contact me via queerintheair at gmail.com and I can give you those resources via email if you need to. I want to quickly take the opportunity to thank Jonas Ruppenham. Daryl Sugar and Abby for joining me on Queer in the Air and for being incredibly amazing, beautiful guests and for really opening up their hearts and their vulnerability and, and being just absolutely wonderful, queer, incredible people. You've been listening to Queer in the Air with MV. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook via the handle Queer in the Air and you can listen to us via 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air and I'll have the podcast up soon. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.